0: Hello and welcome to the Island Stories podcast. I'm your host, Harriet Hadfield. Three years ago, I came home to the island and started a new life, which really got me thinking. Each and every one of us living here has an island story. Last season, we spoke to some wonderful guests, each with an extraordinary story to tell. And this year is no different. So let me introduce this week's guest Francesca Cooper one half of a dynamic female duo shaking things up amongst the island's farming community Francesca is a director of Nonwell Home Farm near Ashy where they farm 125 acres providing beef pork and eggs to customers across the island all farmed in a sustainable way hey francesca thanks so much for joining us thanks for inviting me well the first question we always ask on the podcast very simply why the island
1: it's very simple, I suppose. I mean, you're sat here on my family's smallholding and the island is my home. So you
0: grew up here. Where
1: did you grow up? Um, we grew up in the house about 100 metres away from here. Um, we're now sitting in the barn, which I used to spend time with our my grandparents' cows. <laughs> um, and I was actually home educated here on smallholding and then went to Ride High School. So... Very it kind close, of yeah close. up sort of the good life. Yeah, uh, it's the good
0: life. Yeah. So I always ask people you know who's your island family? Who
1: do you live with? So you you've got quite a list. Yes, I do. So my grandparents owned this five-acre small holding. My granddad was a builder, so he converted the the stable block at the top and we lived in part of that. My mum moved back with my dad from Leeds when I was 4, so I was brought up here on the small holding with goats and chickens and cows and yeah, it was very much the good life. <laughs> yeah. And who's here now? Who who do you live with and the wider the wider small holding? So, um I live with my husband and two small children, Alfred and Tessa. So Alfred's 6 and Tessa's 8. Like next to us, so there's a few properties here on the small holding. There's my brother and my mum and dad and my my grandmother.
0: And what's life like living here? I mean, we're sitting In your house, overlooking chickens and goats (laughs) and all sorts of other things, what's it
1: like? I've always been really immersed in horticulture and animals. My dad, ever since I remember, ever since we moved back to the Isle of Wight, so he did a doctorate in biology and he worked for the tomato growers on the island forever, and he still does um, work for them so he I was brought up with conversations about soil microbiome <laughs> around the dinner table <laughs> and so I was always very passionate about that and then I just loved growing things as well so I used to have ever since I've been tiny I've had like vegetable patches and that then grew when we came back into um, which was called the modern kitchen garden, which we set up when we moved down, which is now sort of a mothballed business. But that's what you can see out the window here, and <laughs> um, we can also see quite
0: good views across Ride. Where exactly
1: are we? Just to explain, so we are overlooking. We can just about see Tesco's on the other side of the hill, and um, from the corner of the small holding, you can see down um, sort of across Apple. Beach, that sort of area. Yeah, it's absolutely beautiful. Your children must love it here. Yeah, they do. Yeah, I think they've become a bit blasé about it. Unfortunately, they go to school and talk to their friends, and I keep trying to explain to them. I'm like, you know, people don't always go back, and they don't all have goats in their back garden. Yeah. <laughs> well, we can hear all <laughs> the animals yeah. around and, us, uh, as crowing. Well. <laughs>
0: yeah. yeah, and they're like, do we have to go to the farm? <laughs> Francesca's mum has just walked past, and it yeah. actually just made me think. You know, I mean, I live 50 meters away from my parents yeah. in Sea View, yeah. uh, and my dad does pop round you know, most day yeah. let herself in, take the dog. Is it is it is it very much like that it here is. as well? Yeah,
1: definitely. Like I'm um, I lose the kids and that sort of they go out and play like halfway between us and my my mum's house and the next thing I know that yeah I haven't seen them for three hours and I'm like I I hope they're with mum I'm pretty sure they're with mum. That's so. a pretty special childhood, though. It is, yeah. I mean, that's them. the childhood I had, and I'm really happy that I'm sharing that with my children as well. Yeah. Tell me about your husband. Is he an Islander? So he's not. No, we met at the Rural Agricultural College, and um, both studying rural land management. And he's from Derbyshire. So he and I both worked as rural surveyors in Sirencester and the Cotswolds for, well, we were up there for about 10 years altogether and then moved back. He worked for BCM, which is a very like great island company, but then decided that he wanted to take the opportunity to work for the National Trust. So he's now the senior estate manager for the National Trust across the Isle of Wight and the South Downs. Wow, that's a big job. Yeah, it is a big job. Yeah, it was a big jump. <laughs> so
0: yeah, so very he, busy. Yeah. He
1: must be very busy. Yeah. Wow, what an amazing um,
0: dynamic couple on yeah. the island. You were home educated here which yes. is something I'm really interested in.
1: Yeah so um, when we moved down my mum my was quite passionate that she wanted to home educate us but there wasn't a huge network on the island so she and some friends set about setting up what's um, now the Isle of Wight Learning Zone charity. When we left I think there was about 100 families that were home educating on the island and it's sort of growing exponentially it's somewhere that people move to home educate I suppose because of the I suppose we've got so much to do here for kids and it's a nice place to move back to but also because it's got a lot of support from the local authority for home educating and people wanting to do their thing so you were home educated till you were 16 uh yes uh yes ish I think I can't remember exactly whether it was 15 or 16 because I did a transition I went to the tech college and did some GCSEs and then went to um ah, okay. and I also did a horticultural course down at the botanic gardens as well as Oh wow and then it. on to what uh, was then I went to yeah what is now ride academy yeah so, yeah to do my a-levels
0: and what was it like going from sort of being at home and learning at home to going to a big
1: senior I, school I absolutely loved it <laughs> yeah <laughs> I was so passionate about learning and I was always a bit of I was the swat at the front of the class I suppose and I suppose when you're doing it with A-level students they're the ones that are left that yeah. still want to learn and so um, I'm, I had quite a group of friends there. I knew some friends through, um, we were quite involved in the Ride Carnival Project and my mum was one of the artists on the Ride Carnival Project back in the day when we had wow. all the excitement of the Notting Hill guys coming down. So I sort of knew the place and I knew the people and yeah I just really loved learning. So, And what
0: about your children then? How how How's that kind of Shaped how you decide to educate them.
1: Yeah, so we started out um, home educating them. It felt like it would be really easy, especially at the time when we moved down to the island. We converted this barn into a house, and we were very much just living on the land. And Oliver was working for BCM at the time, part time, so we had a lot of time, and we were living the good life for a few years, I suppose. And we were home educating for a couple of years, and I got back involved with the Isle of Wight Learning Zone, which was the one that my mum set up and then I suppose during Covid everyone was doing it and then after Covid Oliver decided to go for this bigger job and then the farm came up and it was just sort of not possible to do all the things so we decided to put them into school and they actually really love it and we found a really lovely tiny school over in St Helens. I almost don't want to tell people about St Helens because it's so amazing (laughs) um, (laughs) and it's so lovely and small it's um uh, like a proper little village school with a big green out the back and um, I, I love it I suppose we're in there now so other people can try and join <laughs> <laughs> yeah I
0: always hear good things about yeah about
1: now growing up you
0: used to ride horses so you knew the land you knew the sort of the Isle of Wight landscape
1: yeah we used to spend a lot of time um, riding horses around specifically like this area um, up and down gatehouse Lane which is just around the corner and um up and over to where we now farm at Nunwell. So. Yeah
0: that's what I wanted to ask
1: you yeah. about because
0: I love this idea when we spoke about it before you
1: said it was a sort of s- circuitous route back to Yeah Nunwell. Yeah really circuitous I suppose because of my love for the estate from that point we used to just go and walk up there and like play in the quarries and yeah ride the horses over there and I think it it was probably the first place where I'd really been aware of a country estate as well and then that very much led into my wanting to go and study at the Royal Agricultural College where I studied estate management and and I don't know I suppose I was always a fan of Jane Austen novels and things and, <laughs> and let Who my it? mind run when I was little <laughs> and, and especially the Nunwell estate where it's got um, this beautiful listed parkland around the original um, Nunwell house it's quite like evocative. So if you just
0: were to describe where it sits on the island how would you describe Nunwell Estate and how much
1: land it takes up? So Nunwell Estate is um now around 900 acres Uh, at some points it was really big actually at some points our original deeds where we're sitting here which is about two miles away has the Oglander family on it so they used to own right out here it was a very big estate and um but now it's about 900 acres and it sits sort of on the north side of Braiding Downs. It goes right up to the back of Braiding and sort of out through Harding Chute to, towards Tesco. So. So how much of it do you have? How much do you and uh, Holly, your your business partner, have? So we farm um, with a share farming agreement with Rob Oglander, the owner of the estate. So his family have owned it for a thousand years, which is always quite wow. romantic, isn't it? yeah. Um, so with him, we've, we farm our livestock on 125 acres um, of listed parkland and some arable land that we have for the pig. But we actually then stretch beyond that because the Wildlife Trust took on... Um, 350 acres of it a couple of years ago to do a conservation rewilding project um and we graze our belted galloways and saddleback pigs across that to help them with the conservation um the development of the conservation grazing there. Okay so we'll,
0: we'll talk about rewilding a little bit later on um but I'm fascinated to know how this all came about because you've only been farming for a couple of years. Yeah. Um and you are in it with your best friend Holly. Yeah. Who you grew up with on the island.
1: Yes. yes. Yeah. So she was home educated as well. So like, I suppose you like school friends, we were home ed friends. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and did you ever then kind of dream of doing something together? Um, I think, well, actually at the time she was very much my sister's friend. So she's a couple of years younger than me. Um, but she was pretty much brought up on this small holding as well. We were all hands-on with cows and pigs and vegetable gardens here um, she was yeah dragged up on the small holding as well very much in part of the community so what happened how did you how did you end up starting the farm so um it was a whirlwind really so we moved back um, in 2017 and started the modern kitchen garden which is a no dig vegetable garden and did a, some catering work with that off the back of that and Holly actually, started out with that as well so we set that up together but then she had a small child so um sort of stepped away a little bit and I ran it with Oliver but then in 2021, Oliver was working with BCM and went to the estate and uh, the the Nunwall estate to go and talk to Rob just about prospects and land management and stuff and came back. I think he'd mulled over a couple of days, like whether he told me or not, but a couple of days later he was like, Oh I was chatting to Rob and he's super lovely and super enthusiastic about doing all these exciting things with his estate and some of the land's going to be coming up. And we've always thought, oh, it would be super nice to put some of our sort of management skills where we've been managing country estates and farms into practice. We'd always been sort of frustrated farmers. And weirdly, we had sort of written up sort of a skeleton. Sorry, mum is just waving, saying that there's a goat giving birth out the back. <laughs> 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 so Does she, she need can to that go out? and assist? I don't think so. I think she just wanted to see everyone. But we can just say that there's a goat giving birth. There's babies everywhere. Oh my goodness, <laughs> I love it.
0: That gives us a real idea of what it's like living here.
1: Okay, so you Sorry, had this we vision, about you having this a, idea. Oliver had spoken to Rob and came back with this sort of idea that maybe we could apply for the tenancy of part of Numble Estate, which was amazing. And we were like, well, why not? <laughs> um you know we've never really done farming in a big way but I had a lot of experience of had a lot of experience with business planning so we wrote up a business plan and did all the costings and we knew what we were talking about from that perspective and we sold the vision to um rob like very much with the help of like all of my family were involved at that point and holly and tom so her husband is a graphic designer so we created this pitch Mm -hmm. um along with some photos from our lovely friend maria bell and we created this thing which his land agent had never really seen anything that looked like that before because it was like (laughs) this shiny glossy document of of our vision we all got very excited and i suppose the rest is history we I suppose at the time we had tiny children and we were like, one day we'll get a farm, maybe in five <laughs> years we'll get a farm. And then suddenly it was there on our laps and it was, it was a very much a whirlwind. Yeah. Sometimes you have to just go for it, don't yeah, you? you do. Despite having yeah. small
0: children yeah. and everything else going definitely. on. Um, you say shiny and glossy. And yeah. I think when I look at your website, I definitely can see and in your Instagram, you know, the, the marketing is spot on. Yeah. Just yeah. explain
1: what the farm does. What's its kind of core business? So um I suppose the word that's not used very often, but it's very much like at the core of what we're doing is we want to be a regenerative farm. So we want to leave we want to regenerate the land, we want to leave the land and the biodiversity in a better way than we found it, um, which includes things like carbon capture and um you know purifying the water on the estate and yeah, creating more diverse habitats while we're also growing. super high nutrient um, meat pork and eggs so
0: you just took me on a tour of the farm before we before we sat down to do the podcast which was amazing uh very muddy (laughs) Um, and uh you showed me the land and explained you know that it used to be quite intensely farmed yeah so what are you doing that's different if people can't if people sort of you know really want to understand the the whole regenerative thing what does it mean
1: yeah i so you i suppose you have to take um the different land uses that it was previously and so the um the pasture land that we're managing was is permanent pasture well I say it's never been plowed we actually found some pictures the other day where it had been plowed but it's 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 been grassland for a long time but it's very much a monocrop rye grass lay with which has been highly sort of spread with nitrogen so it doesn't have very much diversity so in those fields we are using our cattle to mob graze which means we use electric fencing to mob them up into um quite close groups is that what mob
0: grazing yeah
1: is? <laughs> so
0: I, my only knowledge of farming is yep. from listening to the archers which must be so annoying for <laughs> you but they talk about mob grazing all the time oh, good <laughs> and actually lots of other things as well they talk about herbal lays and yeah um, they talk about rewilding and all these
1: different things it's quite it is quite educational yeah yeah it is um so mob grazing yeah essentially what we're trying to replicate grasslands were developed with large herbivores so if you think i think about it as like the the buffalo in like north america like they they are in big herds they come they trample they move on to the next place and in order to sort of replicate that on a smaller scale we are using electric fencing so rather than just letting the cows out into the whole field we put them into electric fencing and move them around which then means that they cause a lot of impact in a short term they fertilize they eat and then they move on and then they allow a long rest period which then allows that grass to grow up to sort of its full fruition rather than constantly being grazed down on and down and depleting its root network so you get more root growth you allow the broad leaves to grow um, which then creates different microbiology in the soil so you get more water infiltration and all the good things. How long does this process take because obviously you've only
0: been doing it for two years I mean are yeah. you seeing a real change already?
1: I suppose the biggest change we saw in our first year was like, we we arguably were understocked last year just because it takes a while to build up our stock numbers but one of the things we saw with sort of allowing the longer grass is that obviously we had a drought last year um, but where our grasses were in some places sort of around a foot tall or maybe slightly less but they were still like nice and long and lush where we were not allowing the stock on them all the time but making sure they could regenerate when you put your hand underneath and touch the soil the soil was still almost damp and cool which meant that all that microbiology was still active, even when we had those like baking temperatures. And it meant that our grass was still growing, actively growing during some of that drought, which was amazing. Oh, wow. That's really interesting. Yeah. Yeah. I love
0: how knowledgeable you are and how (laughs) passionate you are about all this stuff. I think, um, you know, you you said you loved learning when you were growing up here and being home education and then going to school Um, but it definitely it definitely really comes across in terms of the products then that um that you sell yeah um, it's all pretty slick looking at the website so what, yeah. what are
1: what are the products how does it work how many customers do you have yeah I mean I suppose it's one of those things we bit off a lot um you know we said we were going to be farmers and set up a we were going to be well marketed and we were going to run a direct sales business and we actually um, like got some business advice when we were doing our initial business plan from um, Peter Grieg from Piper's Farm who's a regenerative. Like farming business on the mainland, and he was like, "What are you doing? You're trying to bite off more you can do You're uh, doing all of these things." Yeah. But we were so determined that we wanted to sell our product to local people, yeah. and we had so much interest in what we were doing. We sort of ploughed on um, with doing that, but we have found a rocky road trying to develop our product at the same time as developing our breeds and our relationship with the land. And but I suppose that's another thing where Rob Oglander sometimes he believes in us more than we believe in ourselves and he was always so like you can do this you can sell this product this is amazing you can do it and I think most of the time we have proved him right which is good <laughs> so
0: you've got you have got as you say the sort of two sides to the business because you've got the sort of in, the incoming yeah so the farming and yeah. today we went and met some pigs yes and cows (laughs) some cows we met a new we met I mean we met a baby baby calf who'd just been born surprise we did surprise
1: yeah Yeah, they just drop them every so often so they're very low input cows and um yeah we went out and found a new baby this morning and then you've
0: got your laying chickens as well and everything associated with 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 nurturing and caring for these animals yeah and then coming out the other end the products so just talk us through what the products are
1: so the products we sell um grass-fed beef so we feel very strongly that cows are ruminants and that they are best at converting grass and that I mean obviously they've got a bad rep with um producing methane but we believe very strongly that if they are just eating the grass they're cycling that that's a closed loop um carbon cycle and so we are fully grass-fed, to put that in context. A lot of cows do come in to barns and are fed on grains and pulses and also imported soya, so... Okay, and can you tell the difference in the product? Can you tell Um, the difference in the taste? We think that we can tell the difference. um, I mean, mainly... We tell the difference because our cows are raised to an older age, so I think that's matures the meat. You, it's very dark. Holly is really passionate about nutrition and has done a lot of research into the nutritional benefits of grass-fed meat. And there's a big movement now, especially with some um, lots of fitness experts about only having grass-fed meat, grass-fed bone broth, all of that, and um, it has a lot higher levels of omegas in the meat. And people are seeing that it's much more sort of healthy as well as as if not more delicious <laughs> but it brings me on to something interesting
0: you told me which is that both of you have been vegan so yeah. both of you have been sort of plant-based yeah and then now you're running a business where you're selling beef you're selling pork
1: yeah yeah how does that work I think it's so interesting we've always been really passionate like climate campaigners we believe very like we're very uh, Emotional about um, sort of making sure that we leave the planet in a better place than we found it. And um, I suppose during my work and going around some of the more industrial farming systems and seeing pigs in farrowing crates, and um, I suppose in some ways it was a knee jerk reaction to that. But also there was obviously a lot of um, science backing up the fact that a plant based diet was better for you, in inverted commas. and better if not like the same if not better sort of thing yeah. and um, there was that documentary wasn't there on netflix yeah cowspiracy was... <gasps> yeah that was very it was big and punchy yeah. and i think since a lot of it has been debunked but yeah. <laughs> <laughs> at the time it was punchy enough yeah, to yeah. make us try but it. you
0: had a bad experience from being vegan i did
1: yeah so both holly and i found that it was we just didn't thrive I got chronic fatigue and wow. found that like um my my teeth started like I got a lot of um fillings during that time wow. I just okay. couldn't really metabolize the I mean some people can I think that it's well, everyone's different yeah, everyone's they? different yeah. and people's microbiomes are different and actually, like my husband seemed to be totally fine on it but yeah I really struggled I got really low in b12 and had to take I had to go and get B12 injections and Mm. gradually work myself back and I suppose during that time we started looking into how we could find or source meat that was um, raised in a way that was good for the planet and good for yeah animal welfare really. It's a great story as to how (laughs) you
0: came to what you're doing through all these different experiences.
1: We want to live in a way that we leave sort of yeah. thing and i suppose at the time that was veganism and and i'm really glad we went through that phase especially as it's still something that's very much bubbling in the background yeah. and i think that um it's nice to be able to talk to people about and be understanding about yeah. why people have made that choice but... i always think you have
0: to be careful of having an opinion on things if you don't know anything about yeah, it yeah and you exactly. certainly have been have through... done it <laughs> yeah exactly yeah. You've, you you can definitely speak from uh experience now in terms of the the actual your customers one of the things i love about your business is that almost all of your customers are on the island yeah yeah so
1: how many have you got and where how how does it all work the basis of i suppose our direct sales business is our egg club so we have we deliver to around sort of 60 70 local customers who order anywhere between six to thirty to sixty eggs that what? some people love eggs. eggs. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um so um, that's sort of really formed the basis of our sort of customer base and then we get people ordering ad hoc on top of that they either like top up and buy meat on top or we've started doing weekly offer boxes so we create a selection of meat for them wow. a lot of people have just been buying those which is quite nice yeah so. we get a veg box
0: from a living from a local, larder, yeah, yeah from living larder yeah. and it's, it is great actually because it does make you eat stuff that it's you wouldn't great. otherwise yeah. eat and you know it's local exactly
1: it's one of the i've always found um I suppose one of the things that Holly and I both being working parents is like, we've been thinking about who our customers are and what they need. And essentially, they are us. And what would we want? We want someone to produce nutrient dense food that we don't have to feel guilty about and deliver it to our doorsteps. And yeah, we get living larder. I mean, Will and Amy are amazing. And I always love it when I drop off a, a bag of meat and some eggs next to their living larder boxes it's like you know that that family's going to get all their nutrition in the week <laughs> yeah. and, and all Isle of white grown as yeah, well exactly yeah
0: okay so you've got a really strong customer base you've been doing it for a couple of years yeah as a business how is it going because we always hear that farming is so difficult mm. to make money it and is. you're obviously doing it in a in a more cost intensive yeah. way so yeah. how's
1: it going um so we wrote our business plan knowing that I suppose the backdrop to farming at the moment is that since we left the EU, we are going through a transition phase where farmers have been receiving basic payment scheme subsidy. I mean, shockingly, 50% or more of farmers in the UK have not made any profit. And so they've been living off the basic payment scheme and, and the rest of the farming has just been breaking even. Yeah. So we're now facing sort of a... A crisis in farming. I think there's it's a ticking time bomb, and everyone's trying to adapt desperately to how that fits in, like how they fit into the future, how their farming business fits into that. And so, when we were drawing up our our business plan, we were very much looking at how we can reduce costs. So we don't have a lot of machinery. We just have the little um, can am buggy, which I drove you around this morning. Um, the estate has a telehandler that we use occasionally. If we need other machinery, we we pay other farmers to bring it on. Like, um, I think it's going to get to the point where lots of farming businesses can't have loads of tractors and machinery. It's just going to be um, too much to hold those overheads. And um, so I suppose from one end, we wanted it to be very low input. So we didn't want to feed loads of stuff to our cows. And we want to reduce the amount of feed that we feed to our pigs by running them through forage and the um, the Wildlife Trust land. And, and then also look into how the subsidy from the government's going to be rolled out. So the subsidy is going to be moving from sort of a a land-based payment, which it was before, so however much land you had, you got paid for that, to essentially public money for public goods. So it's going to be... You're going to receive payments for doing things on your land which um, increase biodiversity or water capture, things like that. So there's um, now the countryside stewardship scheme, which will be transitioning into and using those payments to support what we're doing on the farm but because we've front-ended our business plan to know that that's what we want to be doing um we can then cash in on those payments
0: it's it's mind-boggling to me because i you know i sort of think business you know you buy you buy stuff in your sense you nurture it rear it then you sell it yeah And, you know, there should be sort of money coming in, money going out. But there's so much with farming. There is. In terms of subsidies and different plans and different grants. Yeah. I mean, you guys have to be businesswomen as well.
1: Yeah, we do. And I suppose it really helped that we, like Oliver and I have come from a background in estate management. So we were very aware of things like environmental schemes and tenancy agreements and um, making those figures add up. I think everybody is learning very quickly with this new transition i mean the government's been very slow at coming forward with any detail we still i mean all of the the windows for applying for the schemes have opened and yet we don't have all the detail yet so we're trying right. to just scrabble for the information that we do have and apply for what we can but i think there is a there is a sad disconnect we'd like to be able to just farm the land sell the product especially when we're selling directly to customers so we don't have the supermarket element which so we're not draining our money through secondary um retailers but we we still find that just the the price of the product versus the amount that it costs to produce it just really doesn't add up I think it's a sad reality of our food system really in this country it's not very I suppose PC to say we don't spend enough money on our food but I think we like you say about prioritizing where our food comes from and spending money on the things that we should be spending money on Mm -hmm. and supporting our local businesses is really important especially where the supermarkets are just pushing the prices down and down and we'll end up importing all of our meat from like Australia because they can produce it much cheap more cheaply because of the way that their sort of land um, is managed over there. It's quite a hot topic at the
0: moment isn't it in Mm -hmm. terms of you know this ticking time bomb again yeah. I mean I hate that expression I know in some ways because it feels like lots of things at the moment are oh, ticking, ticking time bombs, bombs. Time bomb. I know um but certainly in the terms of what we eat and where we get our food from and I think it's something that governments in the next 10 years are really going to have to yeah to grapple with and it's it's a difficult balance of telling people what to do I know which no one really likes no. when government does that no. but at the same time you know trying to make nutritious good food I available so. and, and yeah exactly I think that's a really interesting and difficult one to solve you're an islander yes so how does it feel to be farming on the island like how important is that to you
1: I think stewarding a bit of the island is It still like boggles my mind that we have that like it's it's almost not sunk in that we are really sort of looking after that amazing part of the island and like I said this morning when we drove up to the top of the hill like sometimes we just drive up there and we're like oh my goodness this is the absolutely incredible like so beautiful and looking out I always find it amazing when you look out over from the downs and look down across the Solent and you see sort of where the mainland stops <laughs> and then and then we've, we're so much a rural idyll on the other side of the of the Solent I don't know it's quite it's quite magical to be yeah looking after this beautiful bit of the island and also the the, the farming economy on the island is is difficult like we have to ship stuff off and um we still don't have an abattoir on the island which is a whole nother thing that we have got to try and work out but um there's lots of challenges to farming on the island um but I, I suppose I wouldn't overplay it there are there are challenges to farming anywhere in the UK but I do think that some of those are more yeah acute on the island
0: let's go back to life before living on the island with your family you studied land management at yep. Royal Agricultural University which is where you
1: met your husband yes what were you learning to be there so we were learning to be um estate managers and it was one of those things that at the time I spoke to people about it and they're like well what are you going to do and I was like well I'm, I'm learning to manage country estates and they're like oh like Downton Abbey and I'm like <laughs> yeah but actually I think people don't really know that there are a lot of country estates you know it's not just royalty that has palaces and and land there are a lot of country estates around the country and I um, worked on a state called the Bathurst estate which is I think at the time about 12,000 acres 200 residential properties and 80 commercial properties so that's sort of um, property portfolio but in a rural context being an estate manager you manage the estate for the landowner so you are sort of a, a generalist I suppose you know about uh, property management and farming and managing business and um all of those things and that really appealed to me to just um sort of be be looking after sort of the whole portfolio for someone yeah
0: and you worked after that for two different big rural property companies yeah. and looking at your linkedin it seems like the sort of passion for renewables and mm. energy and regeneration kind of started to creep in through your career
1: yeah i was i was fortunate to work in one of the firms with someone who had come from a background in renewable energy and Um, it was really exciting working with him and looking at rolling out renewables and I learned at that point lots about sort of the national grid and how we needed to improve that and I suppose yeah I mean renewables and looking at how we could produce more from the land energy or food was always quite a passion yeah. And I know that you've mentioned a bit about
0: rewilding um, quite a controversial topic even on the island it divides Um, Opinion, but you're very passionate about it.
1: I am. Yeah, it's um, like you say, very controversial, (laughs) and I have uh, lots of debates with some of our farming contemporaries about it. But I think we've got to the point where we can have like a nice, robust debate rather than an argument, which is quite nice. But I do feel very strongly about rewilding. I look at the land, especially on the estate, so it's 900 acres. 350 acres are in the rewilding project stewarded by the the Wildlife Trust. And I think the thing is, and I suppose we have so many, like you say, ticking time bonds and existential crises <laughs> that we don't really want to think about. But one of the ones that I um, sort of in reading more and more about is the fact that we have a huge biodiversity crisis. Um, the, the UK is one of the most nature depleted countries in the world. And if I was good at statistics, I'd be able to reel off sort of... Um, what that means from a statistical perspective, but when you read them, they are quite staggeringly horrendous, like the amount of insect life we've lost in the last 50 years and the amount of invertebrate life we've lost. Like there's a mass genocide going on out there Mm. without us even having like thinking about it. And I know that people like David Attenborough are trying to draw attention to it, but I think sometimes we just get a bit overwhelmed, like you say, with um, having to think about that. But from my perspective, being on an estate where I can see that, say a third of the estate is being used to create an incubator for all of those amazing um, habitats which can support i mean we've already been seeing like huge flocks of linnets and uh, yellow hammers and we've had small owls that have been flying over there The you know the the sky in the autumn was just full of like insects and birds and and it was quite a stark contrast when you looked Sort of the other way, and looked at the conventionally farmed land, and it just didn't have that level of diversity. and And I think I, th- I don't know. I find it difficult that people can argue otherwise that we should set aside some parts of our land, and it's not a huge amount of the you know the Isle of Wight in total. And it's creating this, like I say, an incubator, which means that then when we do our nature friendly farming. Next door, those things can have somewhere to come out from that can repopulate our our landscapes with all of these amazing wildlife.
0: I guess rewilding to me, and I don't I don't know enough about it to have an opinion either way, and I know it's a really nuanced argument. Um, but I guess in a way, it's victim to the same thing we were talking about of it being so complex yeah and um, so it's not as straightforward as just giving back some land there's no. offsetting and credit yeah credits yeah, and, yeah yeah you know sort of starts to make people's head spins and, and 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 I think you know it gets a bit complicated maybe
1: it does I mean land use there's been quite a lot of moves to sort of try and quantify all of the different the sort of layers that you can put on top of land like the public access and the mental health benefits and the biodiversity and the food production and I mean land is incredibly a because it is it's not just like a factory (laughs) you know we're we're producing food but we're also producing uh, like we're capturing carbon and we're filtering water and we are creating habitats I think that trying to marry all of those things is really important And I think it's very simplistic when people say things like oh you're taking that land out for of food production and I know that especially you know with the war in Ukraine that was a big thing you yes. know I can't believe you're taking it out of food production but actually the land that has been reverted on the Nunwall estate was never well it was used for food production in the past but it, it, during the last few years it's been used to produce maize and ryegrass for the biodigester to produce biogas which I mean you could say is a green energy I personally think that it's not the best form of land use um, it's quite an intensive form of land use that can cause quite a lot of soil degradation. Well, so. you were to me earlier
0: that, that that whole idea was meant to be for waste products from farming yeah. rather than just farming you know, yeah. from, the, from the beginning to Yeah, the, to the
1: biodigester concept was very much sold as going to be turning all of our waste into biofuel and it ended up being a very lucrative way that farmers could sell um, maize and... Um, rye grasses into the biodigesters in order to balance out the levels that they needed to create the gas and then it just sort of transitioned to being mainly those products those crops that were going in rather than really any waste there's a
0: big thing on the island so it kind of it 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 makes me think that you know both you and holly yeah are quite outspoken about your opinions Mm -hmm. about things so how has that how has that been as sort of new um, female farmers how How have you gone down
1: with the with the farming community um yeah, I think at the beginning we we used to joke and say we were like public enemy number two or three after the wildlife trust and the mm-hmm. the national trust on the island with farming community but um I think it was very much tongue in cheek we We knew quite a lot of the farming community um and uh, like knew and liked and got on with them. I think there was some of them more um, the old school farmers, and I don't think that they would mind me saying that they were um, they were to be convinced <laughs> when we joined the farming community, and um, I think they were skeptical that we knew what we were doing they were always very like strong in asking us about our business planning and like how we how many cows we were going to have and and sort of trying to trip us up but we did we did know what we were talking about we had planned it very meticulously and I think the more they sort of saw that that's what we were doing and we showed them the figures that we were talking about and um, we've since started sort of demonstrating what we're doing and building our business and also sharing our our journey on social media and I think I think they see that actually we're not we're not doing a negative when we're, we're not a negative to the farming community. Hopefully we are. We're a net positive contribution to everyone here. So well,
0: it's a very marketable concept, though, to yeah. women farmers. Yeah. You know,
1: I, I, and, you know, as a woman, I kind of hate that yeah. sort of
0: obsession with, oh, my goodness, a yeah. woman is doing this. I know. It's crazy. But actually, you know, with farming, it's probably one of the few professions left where it is pretty unusual still. it is
1: yeah I mean we um when we started the farm so for the first 18 months um we were farming me and Holly with my brother Christy and and we were very much we did lean on him quite heavily when it came to all of the the heavy lifting and stuff (laughs) so we were (laughs) in our own way leaning into that stereotype but um uh, he has actually decided to step away from the business a bit and um it means that we've got to find out ways of actually even things like the cattle crushes or uh, you know the the taggers for the cows are just slightly too big for our hands and like yeah everything is just it's a man's world it is a man's world and even like driving the buggy like if we lean forward the the sensor goes off thinking that we're not set on the seat because we can't (laughs) touch the pedals properly and (laughs) we got to find a way of sitting and it's just everything is created for men and there is a big move to try and Even workwear—you go and try and buy workwear, and it's all men's workwear, not women's workwear. Yeah, you're
0: wearing these very fetching (laughs) overalls. It's a good look. It is a good look. (laughs) And actually, your Instagram really reflects it as well. Um, Mm. I think the marketing, the the website—I said earlier—they're all just spot on and it's exactly what we love on this island mm. is businesses like yours that you know I'm um, one of the things I was talking about at the weekend was there's been this channel five documentary jewel of the south I don't know if you've yeah, seen it yeah. but um it's 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 very much depicting the island as sort of you know stuck in time bucket and spade yeah. um lots of old people <laughs> and yeah I think there's a whole group of us yeah who want to see things differently and, and want to promote the island differently. That's why I yeah. started the podcast. As yeah. well. It was exactly to talk to people like you who are doing things a bit differently and shaking things up and yeah. disrupting. Um, so, yeah, that's that's been a real pleasure in terms of hearing your story. I did actually talk to Holly about you because I <laughs> always do um, speak to someone about my guest um, and I asked her what makes... Francesca, a really special islander. And She said her love for this place. She always wants to be home. She loves being connected to the landscape, noticing things around her and bits of history. Where the island's a bit slower paced, she leans into that. She's always so emotional and aware of the environment and she'll notice subtleties with the animals. And she's one of the most hardworking people I know. <laughs> and she won't stop until it's done.
1: I think I could say exactly the same back to her. <laughs> we uh yeah we we sometimes get into sort of a competition of overworking which is terribly bad for us and our mental health I'm sure but we're we're trying to balance that with it's quite a female trait though yes trying to set some time aside for I think I wrote in one of our Instagram posts recently we've realized this is not a sprint you can't sprint through this this is a marathon and we have to look after ourselves and and yeah we're both pretty bad at overworking because we get so passionate about it and I mean living with Oliver as well we like the the you know the the pillow talk is all farming and, <laughs> and land agency and, and so it's quite difficult to escape from it but I, do, I don't know I don't know whether we really want to escape from it but I think making sure that we do just um occasionally unwind and go for a run or do some meditation and it's, take a step back take a step back yeah take in the island yeah and
0: um, what does it mean to you to be doing this with with Holly both island girls bred here what does it mean
1: I don't know I suppose it brings back um I've often had this sort of thought in my head of like a lot of people move away and and make their lives and I suppose at the time when I moved away and was doing my thing on the mainland and I thought I was like you know breaking away from the island and it felt just a backwards place I wanted to get away from and um even when I moved back we moved back and it was a very emotional decision to move back but at the time it felt like oh crikey I'm going back to the island I failed I moved back to the island (laughs) um but actually, it it has a lot of opportunities from that perspective. And I think that both Holly and I have found that it's slightly slower pace means that I suppose it, it means that we can stand out and and we can do our thing. And it is exciting to do it here. And there are a lot of opportunities and niches. I mean, you look at our high streets and you think you know the the opportunities for small island businesses yeah it's still got that potential it may be say what you say 30 years behind the mainland but that means that we've got 30 years of potential to grow this into an amazing place so yeah i think both of us feel very strongly about that that there is a lot of opportunities here final
0: thing every episode we ask our guests a quick fire round of five things about the island so are you ready for your five things i think so (laughs) remember them all
1: (laughs) okay number one your favorite place to grab a bite to eat so it is tricky and i know lots of your guests have struggled with this because there are lots of there are lots of places really like popping up now but i think my favorite place i think the place i find most unique is true food kitchen down at Castlehaven. yes it's just so, so Isle of Wight, sat there, <laughs> overlooking the sea. And it's such a, yeah, it's a gem.
0: <laughs> yeah, lots of um, happy memories from, from last summer, actually, on yeah. blue
1: sky days. So good. Yeah, isn't it? it's a very yeah. special place. Okay, number two, your favorite beach. So, my favorite beach is, um, it's called Mount Bay, and it's a hidden gem. <gasps> oh. And I almost don't want to tell you guys about it because um, <laughs> everyone will go there. But it's, um, so, it, It's between um, sort of Steep Hill Cove and um, Wheeler's Bay. So it's down sort of off um, St. Lawrence and it's about half a mile's walk from the road. But it's one of those little tiny bays at the bottom of the island and it's, it feels like a desert island and you can go there in the summer when all the tourists are on the big beaches and it's completely empty and it's absolutely stunning it's got like a little stream that the kids like to dam and I know you're going to be there next year we're all going to (laughs) be bumping into each other down at Mount
0: Bay I'm
1: planning it already that sounds amazing I love Steep Hill Cove so yeah yeah, it's like that but without the tourists a mini version (laughs) number three your number one island activity so I would say definitely running it's how like Holly and I like to go and have running meetings and it's one way that we really clear our heads and running around the landscape and enjoying it sort of in a recreational way when we're not just working on it is really special to us and you've just lent me a book about running yes (laughs) (laughs) because I am
0: not a runner so um, yeah no I'm fascinated to read that number four which island
1: charity is closest to your heart Um, So I think it would have to be the Wildlife Trust. I think that they are a great charity and I think they punch above their weight when it comes to their their size and what they're doing on the island. I think that they've bitten off a lot and I hope that we can help them with like sort of managing their reserves. But I think that what they do for nature conservation and sort of comms for for the biodiversity crisis and stuff is really important number five your hidden gem you've just given us oh i know i've given you one but i think the other one is numwell the estate itself there's a lot of footpaths across it and i did say to rob i was like do you want do you want me to tell people about it But he's more than happy that we go and walk around it because it is a really beautiful place and you can walk through the rewilding land and um on public footpaths on public footpaths there's loads of public footpaths across the estate and Obviously, you know, keep your dogs on leads and all those things, but but do enjoy the landscape because you can walk across the listed parkland and it does feel like a little, um, little country estate and it's really beautiful and you go right up to the Downs and overlook... Part of the island it's really beautiful
0: yeah and then have a have a an idea of everything we've been talking about yeah and today. you can go
1: and see our calves
0: and pigs on the footpaths so. i would
1: highly recommend that yeah. after this
0: morning Oh, well, francesca thank you so much it's been amazing to get to know you better and hear your island story if you want more island news sign up for my weekly email newsletter five-stories.co.uk I'm Harriet Hadfield. My producer is Alex Warren. You'll find us on Instagram at Island Stories Podcast. This season, the podcast is fortnightly, so we'll have another episode for you in a couple of weeks' time. Until then, goodbye.